Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, October 6th. 
Well, Fashion Month is over, and Tim Blanks and I sat down, as usual, for our review of the season that was. It was a season of designer debuts at Tom Ford and Gucci. The change at a house like Gucci, which has a history of amazing moments and an introductory show from a, an untested name. There's that sort of track record there, and you're thinking, wow, what could it be this time? And I guess my feeling is that, well, it will just have to be what could it be next time. And also a season of farewells at Prada, Chloe, and Alexander McQueen. This was one instance where the successor was so umbilically connected with the founder that the brand ethos was sustained to a remarkable degree. I would hate to see McQueen now become one of those brands where no one really knows what to do with it, and it's in play. And there were so many more shows in between. This week on the BOF podcast, I sit down with Tim to examine the fashion industry at a time of transition for so many of the big brands trying to find their feet as the pandemic boom wanes and customers are tightening their belts. Here's Tim Blanks on the BOF podcast. Hi, Tim. Hi, Imran. We're back. I feel more tired this season than normal. Oh, you're just older, probably. Maybe. And this season, I did all four fashion weeks for the first time, I think pretty much since COVID. But there's a lot to talk about. Probably the most anticipated moment of the month was Sabato de Sarno's debut at Gucci. So why don't we start there in Milan? It was a pretty wet Milan fashion week. It rained every day. And so many of the designers had planned to do their shows outside. And in many cases, those plans were foiled. In the case of Gucci and Sabato, they just decided to relocate the show from you know that very beautiful, bougie neighborhood of Brera to that kind of anonymous box in the Gucci headquarters, which I think disadvantaged Sabato on his first go. But what were your feelings now that you've had time to process it? I'm sure everyone in the industry has read your review. But with a bit of hindsight, what do you think? I I agree about the venue. I mean, if the show had taken place in the streets of Brera, if those girls had been walking on cobblestones um, and just like people going somewhere and seeing those clothes in a sort of real environment, they definitely would have taken on a different kind of life than they had in that huge soulless box where the models were, you know, walking around this huge big square. We were seated around the outside of it. Yeah, I I think that was a very unfortunate set of circumstances for Sabato because the collection was designed to be seen, you know, living on the women who were wearing it. It was funny when I was walking back from the show books, did a lot of walking in Milan because Milan doesn't seem to have any taxis anymore. You saw those girls in the street right after the show, wearing the clothes practically. So for me, that was a little bit of a flattening thing. What do you mean flattening? Well, the change at a house like Gucci, which has a history of amazing moments and an introductory show from a, an untested name, obviously Tom Ford and Alessandro Michele. There's that sort of track record there and you're thinking, wow, what could it be this time? And I guess my feeling is that, well, it will just have to be what could it be next time, Yeah. as far as I'm concerned, yeah. It's interesting because you've been looking at Gucci for 
pretty much the entire time that it's been in the fashion consciousness when Tom Ford... Before Tom Ford, I did a show with um, Dawn Mello from Bergdorf Goodman when she was at Gucci, and Tom was making the coffee in the background. When you look at the old footage, Tom is what making people's coffee. What do you mean you coffee. made a show? Oh, you did oh, a did television it with, episode. With the Fashion File. We did, ah. a, we did, a, we did a thing on, so what, on the Gucci renaissance. What was it before Tom Ford? It Just was, bags? No, no. What, what Dawn Mello was doing was kind of, it would be quiet luxury if you're going to use a, a term from today. Horrible. We can retire that quite soon. Although quiet luxury was obviously nibbling away at the the margins of this season. It was a very pleasant, very bourgeois collection that she was refining and doing a very good job. He came on the scene and he created this earthquake. And then actually Frida Giannini took over from him. And there was well, all, Alessandra Facchinetti. Oh, right, Alessandra Facchinetti and then, and then Frida Giannini. Oh, actually, you know what it was? It was three designers that took over when he left. It was John, John Ray, Ray yeah. Frida, yeah. and Alessandra. Yeah, a men's designer, women's designer, and accessories. And that was kind of like to try to continue uh-huh. what he had done, which is kind of what Frida or did. Or just a new approach, just to try and do a new approach to what he had done. And that didn't work, and Frida became the, the top dog. There was a little bit of confusion for me, obviously. Uh, the, the whole idea of Gucci and Cora, which was a launch campaign for Sabato, which was all over the world, I feel. I feel everywhere I looked, I saw Gucci and Cora and message the time and date of the show, you know, on Marble Arch here. That had a huge big hoarding on it. And I thought, are they going to screen the show on that thing? And then the notion of Ancora, I've always thought Ancora was like a gain. And I thought that meant that sort of make Gucci great again thing. And Cora, the Sabato was, said he was using it to mean again and again and again, like I want more and more and more, like when you're in a frenzy of desire, you just want more, more, more. But it's, I, I think other people interpreted it the way I did as well. So I didn't feel quite so well, stupid. It, in Latin or Romance languages, in French, you can say encore, and it can mean again, or it can mean still, and it can mean more. So I think that the choice of the word Ancora was interpreted by different people. Yeah, different ways. And perhaps one of the conversations I was having is, imagine if he had done a really small show. Imagine if he had taken the opportunity to really just curate the guest list down, make it really focused and not do a big shouty show with a big slogan that started everything that set this expectation. And I think perhaps when you're a brand as big as Gucci, you don't even consider that as an option because there's so much riding on the debut. Yeah, there's, yeah, you know, there's billions yeah. and billions of dollars riding on it. But I still think that some of the best debuts that we've seen have started really small and then they grow. You know, and they use that first show as like, okay, it sets a mood. Do you remember Tom Ford's first show that he did for his brand when he did that runway show yeah. you were probably yeah. there yeah, yeah. I wasn't invited but like I remember and I think it was like a hundred people at that yeah. show or something and with incredible models I mean he had Beyonce modeling yeah, in that incredible show. models yeah. but I, I think also there's a nothing to lose element in, in the Tom Ford show Tom Ford's first show at Gucci and, and in Alessandro's first show at Gucci there was a nothing to lose. Because there was no moment. big you know, business. You could, yeah, there was, the business was well, rocky. Get, yeah. It was sort of a hell-bent for leather situation. And there's a kind of excitement in that, you know, like a tightrope, walking on a tightrope. This situation where Gucci is huge, expectations are obviously 
massive. It's a very unenviable situation for a designer to, to walk into. And, and to create that sort of ambiguity around the word Ancora, and there was ambiguity, I think, because it was interpreted in all the different ways you said, and each interpretation cast a different light on the show, was not particularly useful, I think, for a debut like that. Yeah, I think it just confused matters. But I always think that with these big debuts, we need to give designers time to settle in. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I think your conclusion that we're going to have to see, what did you, how did you say it? It's about next time. You know, there's still a lot more for him to do. Interestingly, Luca Soka, the uh, financial analyst, came out with his take on the Gucci debut and they downgraded carrying stock yesterday from market outperform to perform because they didn't see a big bang coming from that show either. So the financial analysts who were also watching kind of were not seeing what they were hoping for either. God forbid you lump me in with those guys. Well, no, what's interesting <laughs> is when the left brain, Luca, and the right brain, you, are aligned. That's very BOF. So and the no brain. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Speaking of Tom Ford, there was also the debut of Peter Hawking's at Tom Ford, the brand, which interestingly was maybe more Gucci from that era, from the 1990s. What did you make of Peter's debut? He'd worked with Tom for decades, so he has completely osmosed him, not just the style of the the brand, but also the personal style. He's completely absorbed Tom. And it was a controversial show because I guess there are people who look at that as just a sort of kind of redundant in a way. And there were other people. I spoke to Italian journalists who were so excited that they felt Tom is back. Now, I don't know what challenge that creates for Peter because he's, well, I do know what challenge that creates for Peter. He's, he's been responsible for the menswear, and this is the first time he'd actually worked on women's wear. So, you know, again, it's a watch this space situation. He's super talented and, and super ambitious. So it's going to be an interesting evolution. I'm pretty sure I saw Timothy Chalamet in this chocolate brown really, really sexy suit because he was doing this event with Martin Scorsese in New York. And the interesting thing on Timothy is although he's got this fragrance contract with Chanel, which is worth apparently $35 million, he can still wear whatever clothes he wants because Chanel doesn't do menswear. And he looked really great in this Tom Ford suit by... Peter Hawking's like, that's an example of someone wearing it in real life, and it looks fantastic. I mean, vintage Tom Ford at Gucci is a sort of consummately glamorous fashion statement. I can only imagine how, what kind of allure it must have for young wannabe Well, I saw that, movie that stars. brown leather suit, and all of a sudden I was like, I want that. So, it, you know, it worked. And you I, want I think, to be Timothy Chalamet. Well, I've, I have not met him, but I, I want the suit. It looks really cool on him. So anyway, that's the context to see. Peter Hawking's Tom Ford is oh, on yeah. people like that, which yeah, is yeah. just more compelling yeah. than on a straightforward Young, young Hollywood, it's like, just like Young Hollywood was drawn to Tom 25 years ago, actually nearly 30 years ago, Young Hollywood will be drawn to Peter doing Tom now. Okay, the other brand now moving to Paris where there was big change was McQueen. And a few 
maybe a couple of weeks ago, it was announced that Sarah Burton would be stepping back after more than 20 years at McQueen and having first worked with the founder, Lee McQueen, and kind of helped steward the brand through the turmoil that followed after his death. And then having been the kind of very behind the scenes front person for the brand, not someone who really likes to be in the spotlight for the last 10 years or so. And then a few days after the show, rumors started swirling in Paris that they were about to make an announcement. I got a phone call, you got a phone call, and someone named Sean McGear that is kind of an unknown quantity, more of a behind the scenes guy who works at J.W. Anderson will be the new creative As a men's designer at J.W. Yeah. Anderson, yeah. So have you met him before, no. Sean? Yeah, he, he's, he's like really, it's following in this pattern now that Caring has of plucking people from behind Which the scenes. Which is good. I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. It's yeah. fantastic. More people would do it. Yeah. So what do you think about McQueen now? Like you were at the finale show. I was sadly not able to go, but... McQueen's such a rare case study in fashion. McQueen has been in the hands of either Lee or his successor since it started, which is getting on for, well, more than 30 years. So it's been so protected in, in its original point of view. Has that held it back? No, I don't think so at all. I mean, it might have held it back from becoming a multi-billion dollar company, but that wasn't ever McQueen. And I think what I would hate to see happen to something that was so, that had so much authenticity. I mean, what other design house could claim that authenticity? Obviously somebody like Rick Owens can, but that's a, he's on Dries. I mean, the people who've had the house has been their own brand has been in their own hands forever. But this was one instance where the successor was so umbilically connected with the founder that the brand ethos was sustained to a remarkable degree. I would hate to see McQueen now become one of those brands where no one really knows what to do with it. And it's in play. And that very clear identity that it has somehow yeah. gets lost into this like sans serif luxury brand monotony that we see throughout well, the industry. Well, a revolving door. Might as well stop it. Well, they almost did. You know, like when he died, there was a big debate about whether that brand could continue on without him. And in a way, Sarah and the CEO, Jonathan, like they really helped to make sustain mm. that brand. It is now a properly sizable business. What, what I would say, what I thought was quite interesting at the final show. Yeah, what was the mood like there? Uh, when I was thinking back to all who, I, I think I saw McQueen's very, very first show. And every show he did subsequently, I, and, and then every show she, that Sarah has done. And when Tom left Gucci and Saint Laurent, the shows were so emotional. This show, Sarah hardly ever came out at the end. Well, she'd come out, she'd poke her head around the curtain, whatever. Yeah. She would never really, never do a walk of, you know, a victory walk or anything. Yeah. This show, she came all the way out. And I have to say, she looked much happier. Like a weight had been lifted off, yeah, the, off actually, her shoulders? Yeah, 
And the show itself, I mean, it was emotional because it's so much the end of an era. I mean, it's, that's such a cliche, end of an era, but that one, wow, that is really the end of an era. She is one designer. She's been the subject of such intriguing speculation over the years. I, I remember Karl Lagerfeld at one point anointed her as his successor at Chanel. He said, I've, you know, one, a designer I'd like to take over for me would be Sarah Burton. Which so is that's kind of, not like uh, industry lore. He actually said that? Well, he, he but, but then when I, I told that to somebody once and, and they said, well, you know, Carl often said that about people. Well, I never heard him say it about anybody else. But she's always been on people's radars as, a, as an interesting, idiosyncratic, creative, thoughtful, emotional designer. She was also the last woman designing for a brand a caring and that has become a topic of great discussion in the last 48 hours or so because with the appointment of sean mcgear now all of the designers at caring are white men and so i think you know with the departure of stella mccartney from the caring portfolio and then also with sarah now leaving and sean mcgear stepping in there's no more women designing there I mean, you've been in, we were having this debate as an editorial team yesterday, and you have a much longer perspective on this than I do. But like, has that always been the case that it was always gay white men who were like at the top? And like, and like, we were having this debate saying like, maybe that's what people have in their head that a designer needs to be. It's not like there's a lack of female designers out there. The fashion schools are filled with women. The design teams are filled with women. Like, why, why don't women in our industry end up getting these roles. And well, why Sarah Moa has been doing a very interesting thing on her Instagram where she's just been posting work of designers and then saying, name her, as in, can you recognize? And there's a, a, quite a long list of female designers, everybody from Donna Karen to Veronique Branchino to Nineveh Como in London. Just as a reminder that when she said, name her, I'm assuming that she was used to saying, can you name her? as opposed to saying, say her name with pride. It's interesting, isn't it? Because women designing for women make a very different statement from men designing for women. So you would imagine that there would be more women designing for women. But you know, go back to the very beginning of fashion, and it always seems to have been mostly men. You know, it always feels like there's underrepresentation. the same thing with minorities. And BOF did that very interesting story about the um, black designers in New York who'd moved out of the CFDA's orbit and were doing their own thing. Yeah, Sheena Butler Young yeah, wrote yeah. that story. I thought that was a really, really interesting story. And you could, it feels to me that when you create your own autonomy, I've, I've always thought that that seemed like a lot. I mean, I've obviously never been a fashion designer or a musician or anything, but create your own autonomy, create your own promotion and release your own music, whatever. It's not realizing the dream of superstardom or anything, but it feels to me like it must be more satisfying. Well, it's more possible than ever before for yeah, people yeah. to create their own businesses. Like while we were in Paris, Phoebe Philo finally revealed the date when her first collection is going to drop. And she's doing that, seems like she's going to be doing it all digitally. She obviously has the very wealthy backers to help her. But, you know, she's doing it outside the structure. She's not doing anything on any kind of calendar. She can do whatever she wants. So there's a kind of freedom there. That feels like such a statement in itself. I mean, the situation with the, the male-dominated industry, I mean, you can go and bashing your head against that wall 
and it, it just, I don't know what changes that really. Gabriella Hurst left Chloe. Well, yeah, that was the next one I wanted to talk about, which is that if another woman, you know, leaving. another woman leaving a brand, and that's really a, a brand is, you know, founded by a woman and designed by a woman for women. I wonder what happens there. Well, there's a precedent for a man to design that because Karl Lagerfeld designed it for a long yeah. time. But it feels now that it is a brand that is so oriented towards a female perspective, not just well, the designer and the obviously the client. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I would say one thing about this season, there has never been more gossip than there was this season. Really? Oh, my God. Everywhere you went, people were speculating about this rumour. And I know fashion weeks are like the watering hole of the industry where all the different species gather together. And I feel like it, uh, maybe it's more like a Petri dish with bacteria. <laughs> because like... Bacteria in a watering hole. Yeah, that's true. All it takes is one little comment from someone saying oh i heard this and somehow that becomes like it's confirmed oh absolutely I never believe or trade in that gossip because it's very rarely true yeah but remember there's a lot of sitting around at fashion shows yeah and, and dinners and start. everyone's yeah. chit chatting until the most outlandish rumor turns out to be true there was so much speculation about so many different houses and I didn't hear any about Chloe. I mean, we knew that that was Gabriella Hurst's last show. And we knew that Angelina Jolie was in there doing something. I can't imagine Angelina Jolie's the next designer at Chloe. And I thought that Gabriella bringing out that Brazilian samba band was quite a special way of saying goodbye. See ya. Yeah, see ya. Well, she had a blast. And I wasn't at the McQueen show, but... That looked like emotional in a different way, like I'm saying goodbye. And the Gabriella Hurst farewell at Chloe more like felt like a celebration, which is like, I'm done. Or like an FU. Potentially. And I think that was really an example, Gabriella at Chloe and Gabriella at her own brand. That was a, an example of when perhaps it's too much for one person to design two brands when there's not a distinct enough separation between the two. I feel really excited for her because I think what she does or her own brand is really distinctive. And, and I'm sure she's accrued some interesting experiences she can channel back through her own brand. For sure, for sure. So yeah, but you're right. No one was really gossiping about who's the no. next designer at Chloe, which might say something in and of itself about the, the kind of interest in that brand. It's a bit sad because it has like such a great legacy of, you know, Karl Lagerfeld. And it's been a, it's been a good launching pad for yeah, people. Phoebe Philo, yeah. so many designers yeah. have started their, or had their careers there. The other brand that was really in focus this season, again, as always, was Balenciaga, because of course, after last season's really pared back mea culpa of a show, this season, Balenciaga was back to spectacle. Yeah, and Demna said he didn't like the last show because it was normal. And his holiday in the south of France, where he and his husband had dressed as normal people as a social experiment, had confirmed him in his faith that the extreme and the marginal, I guess, is his choice, his way of moving forward. So that show was a very personal show, he said, the most personal he's ever done. And again, there was that sort of, this is me. If you don't like it, you can. F, F you. off. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back with more on the BOF Podcast. 
This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. One of the debates, of course, about Balenciaga, given that they're still kind of coming back from the crisis, you see a lot more people wearing Balenciaga again on red carpets and events. So I think the cancellation of the brand, that phase is over. I think the real question now with Balenciaga is like, can they get the heat back that they had before everything went wrong? Is that show enough of an evolution, you think, in terms of where the brand 
is going. There was too much of it. There had to be too much of it because the show itself was so huge. The presentation was so huge, going back to a huge presentation. And he is such an incredible showman, really, that the soundtrack of that show was a work of art in itself. I mean, admittedly, he had Isabelle Huppert, who's one of the greatest actresses living, doing the voiceover. But just her performance, her sustained performance through however long that show ran, like how many minutes was it? It was quite a long show because, and for those of you listening who haven't seen the pictures, it was kind of this theater style show, but there was, you know, these big, beautiful red draped velvet Like the red room in Twin Peaks, I thought. On both sides. And so like for the models to walk around, they had to walk around such a long way. And the soundtrack, while you were sitting there, you, the changes were like... Visceral. Visceral, but the way I experienced it was slightly imperceptible too, because it happened so slowly that it turned... And so I was paying attention to the clothes. And next thing you know, at the end of the soundtrack, she's like... Screaming. Screaming. Screaming to be heard over the din. You know? Because it started off as this very, uh, quite lyrical, kind of classical, imposing classical music, and it just got more and more. Again, it's composed by um, Demna's husband, Loic. And what a composer. He's incredible. I mean, but the structure of that thing, in a way it was quite overpowering because, well, it was overpowering, following the clothes and trying to see... Isabelle Huppert was reading instructions on how to tailor a jacket. Au niveau de la ligne de montage de l'épaule, replier la valeur de couture du dessus de col du cran de montage du col jusqu'à l'épaule. Épingler. Bâtisser. Assembler la manche au corps. Positionner la manche dans l'emmanchure du corps. Endroit contre endroit, en veillant à respecter les crans de montage. Dans un premier temps, épingler la And that's what she was reading, but what she put into the reading, the, the steadily growing intensity and the agitation, and finally the music was getting, becoming practically like pounding techno, and she was yelling, and it was like, whoa! It's inc- I could sit and watch that again. It I think so I'm going to go watch it again. Anyone who hasn't seen it, you should definitely. But you need to have one of those sound systems that makes your ears bleed because at one point it got so subsonic that I swear I, my, the pit of my stomach started to well, churn. Ashley Graham came up to me backstage and she goes, I'm vibrating. <laughs> you know, I feel like, and I, I don't know if she was talking only about the, the show itself or the soundtrack or everything, but she was just like, she was trying to contain herself because she was so like worked up by, by the show. And so it kind of like over, overcame you. I mean, if he, if Demna ever stopped doing that, what could he do with that talent for these spectacles? I mean, like buy the Coliseum and just fill I don't it know, every it's night. Such with... a rare talent. And it's so important in this day and age in fashion because the spectacle is not just for those of us there. It's the thing that lives online that's being traded and discussed. And well, the other master of this sort of absolutely epically scaled, like Cecil B. DeMille's size drama is Rick Owens. And there is no one like him in fashion. And I don't know if there ever has been anyone like him in fashion, but he took the legend of, might be fact, I don't know, the Roman emperor Heliogabalus, Heliogabalus who famously smothered all his guests at an orgy. He was one of those kind of crazy Roman emperors. 
he smothered all his guests at an orgy with rose petals. He dumped tons of rose petals on them and they all died. And so Rick wanted to recreate the Heliogobulus, Heliogobulus orgy, which he couldn't do, of course, in this day and age, um, for so many reasons. So he had these blowers blowing out rose petals, which smelled wonderful. And there was something about that show, the pacing of that show, that was, I guess it was bordering on excruciating, but the way he has the power to slow everything down and just have these rose petals and giant plumes of coloured smoke, and I, it really felt like the fall of the Roman Empire, and then have a beautiful collection in the middle of it that evolves statements he's been making. It was an incredible show. My, my only fault with that show was that because of the nature of the clothes, it was very hard for those models to walk, and they were walking around that big square, so it lessened the impact. Down a massive staircase. Down that huge staircase. staircase. Like you could just tell they were all struggling, and then sometimes in that situation, I feel this like empathy for the models and what they're trying to accomplish. But you know what you, know what you just said about a small show? I mean, the impact of that is the scale. Can you imagine the clothes pootling down a catwalk in front of you? No, I mean, I think it's just Rick. I mean, for those of you listening, Rick Owens is always showing in this venue for like many, many seasons now. So and I I understand why, because he understands how it all works. And from a production standpoint. And it is it is a very impressive, like a movie set. Yeah. So we always kind of know what we're going to get. And there's going to be some like water fountain or something happening. Fireball. Fireball. (laughs) Like there's some kind of this time it was like pink and, and yellow smoke slash powder blasted into the air. And so I understand, but it's just that that particular collection was really challenging in that space with all those stairs. And because they had some of the skirts were so long and tight, the models could only like barely walk, right? So they were going very slow. So for me, that slightly lessened the impact, which Brings us to like one of the key questions that I wanted to talk to you about today, Tim, because it's something I've been thinking about that the Chambre Syndicale, the Federation asked me to answer some questions around like what evokes emotion in fashion. And I started thinking about, well, what makes a great fashion show? And so like as we move into the next phase of this conversation where we're going to talk about the best shows of the season, we've talked about all the change and the gossip and the speculation. Like we started you know, talking about Rick Owens. Like what is it that makes a great show? In your view? Well, I do like a little bit of showmanship. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be the uh, fall of the Roman Empire. Casey Cadwallader at Mugler, who I think is a designer who I really, really have a lot of faith in him to be, he's not really next generation because he's not a young designer per se, but he has vision and he has ambition and he's got used to doing a lot, I think, with probably quite a little. Yeah, I don't think Mugler has the budgets of Dior or no, Chanel in terms no. of staging shows, but it was so effective. Yeah. I mean, just from having four wind machines, four fans, and the models having like a 40-foot thing blowing out behind them, and then these incredible clothes that are very true to the spirit of Mugler but obviously adapted for modern times. I mean, there's a showgirl element to them, but at the same time, they feel new to me and they feel kind of, they feel quite modern, but. So there's a bit of showmanship. There's yeah. a collection that has to be interesting. We, you know, we've been talking about soundtracks and the, you know, the yeah. soundtrack at Balenciaga, yeah. the soundtrack at Dries Van Noten. The soundtrack at Dries was 
so superb. He's worked with too many DJs before and he negotiates to get a track which too many DJs can dissect into its component parts and then just weave in this tapestry of sounds. But he had women talking to women. It was all conversations and all these different female voices kind of edited together so that they were talking to each other. Sounded like they could have been talking to each other, like Madonna and even the Florence, the singer from this English group called Dry Cleaning that everybody's loving at the moment. Just a real tapestry of voices. And then... Underneath it, you could hear Tonight, Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins kind of creeping in, just little bits of the string section. And you thought, what is that? And it finally burst out at the end, like a kind of volcanic eruption, just this burst of sound. Oh, my God, just that simple, I mean, obviously complicated to make the thing. So it doesn't have to be all razzle-dazzle. The other thing I liked about that Dries show, the collection was beautiful. Beautiful. the venue also just worked and the light was just streaming through. The, he happened to just get really lucky. We all got lucky. This Paris Fashion Week was like, if Milan was wet all the time, Paris was glorious. And the light was streaming through the windows of this venue at this soaring ceiling. But it was this like construction site, like yeah. all the, everything just clicks. And like, this is what I was saying in those questions that the Federation asked me. It's like, sometimes everything just kind of, because you have, you have the, that small scale. It's not really small scale. It, it, it's a big show. Dries is a big show. But he is a genius at, and has always been a genius, at creating incredible effects through artistry rather than through budget. Which is kind of what Casey did at Moogler too, right? He didn't have a massive budget, but he managed to create something that, an image I will never forget is Anokiai closing that show. Yeah. And I'm so angry because I thought I was videotaping it. And I actually wasn't. I had pressed pause. So I missed it. I got it. Oh, well, I'm going to have to have a look on your phone because it was so effective. And so you don't need a lot of money. You don't need like a Balenciaga budget to do it. I think Undercover was in a construction site building as well. Undercover was my favorite show in Paris because, as it often is, Jun Takahashi, he does everything for his shows, not just designing the clothes. He does the soundtrack. He does the whole, I mean, he's a polymath and just really has been one of the most fascinating people. I think one of the most fascinating designers. He's, he's so interesting to listen to him speak about things. Um, he's so deep. He is very much in the tradition of Japanese fashion that there's challenge in it. You know, there's a revision of basic things like proportion and so on. But he makes clothes that I guess people might consider to be avant-garde, but they're so, I think, so beautiful and wearable as well. In this collection, there's a layering of, of quite traditional shapes and very diaphanous fabrics. So you've got this kind of ghostliness. And then the things he drew on, like Wings of Desire, the Wim Wenders film, where the angels come back to Berlin to help the living. And so there was one outfit that had angels' wings kind of pressed under a muslin covering and the music was from Wings of Desire as well and it was extremely melancholic and beautiful and oh then the finale was the dresses there was four skirts the four dresses where the skirts were terrariums filled with plants and butterflies that's the thing we all saw on Instagram yeah because it's like oh my god when it comes out is that real are those butterflies moving kind of a, a more lyrical version of the McQueen scene with the moths at the end of his show and then we were assured afterwards that the butterflies would be released because I don't think all of them were moving by the end of the show. But he said he felt 
like he needed release. He felt like he was trapped and he needed to be released. And he says something like that. And that's not mediated by a PR person or anything. That's just what he says. And you're thinking, well, it's nice to have such a genuine sentiment expressed when you can see him working through these ideas in the clothes. I just found everything about that show. It's it's intelligent. It's got this very rare beauty. It's got, I mean, the creativity is off the scale and that show um, was off the scale. So he's like one of those designers who has wonderful reference points from way outside the world of fashion. He just is looking at all sorts of other things, looking at social issues, looking at things like mental health, obviously, very moving. And and that's going back to what makes a great show because the actual set of that show was it was quite moody lighting and a couple of chandeliers wrapped in chiffon sitting on the Again, floor. Again, not a massive like nothing. budget. No, nothing. In fact, probably most of the investment was in the clothes. Glenn Martins did show his Y Project collection in the same venue as oh, Greece. Was- and his show happened at night, so it felt, it was the same venue, but it uh, felt different. That's right, yeah. And like Casey Cadwallader, you know, a lot of people are looking at Glenn Martins as mm. a really interesting talent Definitely. to watch. You know, again, he's not you know, in his 20s or something, you know, he's got experience, but maybe that's what we should be thinking about as we think about next gen. There's people who've worked with some... Well, speaking of rumours, um, one rumour that we heard was that he was going to go to McQueen at one point. That was a, a gossipy proposition, yeah. He would have been amazing for McQueen. I think he would have been very good at McQueen. But, you know, he did two shows. He did the Diesel show in Milan. There was a Y Project show in Paris, which was more like a ordinary fashion show. There weren't any bells, bugles and whistles at that show, except for the clothes. But then in Milan, there were 7,000 people and a rave. That's, that started at 5 o'clock in the afternoon or something and went on until 10 o'clock. And rave. The and the biggest outdoor screen in Europe showing the show to the 7,000 people and torrential rain with no rain date and no... They'd been planning that show for a year and a wonderful thing, they were going to use the screen for a film fest for the next three days for a free film festival for the Milanese. And they were going to show family movies in the daytime and adult movies at night. I mean, grown-up movies, not adult movies. Triple X on that screen would be kind of amazing. But, um, yeah, and that was blown out by the rain. But in a way, his work at Diesel, why everybody loves Y Project, and Y Project was so smart that collection he showed with the inspiration from Gothic architecture and Bruges, which sounds so unlikely, but once he says that and you look at the clothes and you say, oh, yeah, I see a flying buttress. I mean, coincidentally, Junior Watanabe was talking about architecture as well, and I'd been seeing flying buttresses in his clothes. So that's a strange influence on contemporary mm. fashion, Gothic flying buttresses. But I actually like the work at Diesel more in a way because it's so... I was surprised when he said that. A lot of the things he does for a diesel show are just for the show. They're not produced, so they can be basically like little mobile works of art. And he'd been looking at Gerhard Richter's pictures and, and that idea of this, all these layers of stuff that's peeled and distressed, you know, diesel pioneered distressed denim and all the, the, the techniques for distressing. It's just, it is art. Really, is art. You could hang those clothes in a gallery. You know what he also said to me? I said, you know, well, how's it going? And he says, working with Renzo has been really great because Renzo's kind of this like, he's got this like corporate group 
that OTB, that's how got all, by the way, mm-hmm. amazing designers, the Jill Sander designers, Luke and Lucy Meyer, you know, John Galliano from Margiela, Francisco Russo from Marnie, and also Glenn for Diesel. And he says it's a non-corporate corporate. And so I think he also feels creatively free, you know, like it's hard for designers to work in these big corporate groups. But that's the other thing he says he likes about it. So I mean, more than free, he feels unleashed. Yeah. Well, probably he has more money now to realize, you know, because budgets do matter to some extent. But yeah, I think he's also free to do what he wants. You did mention John Galliano at um, Margiela there, and that was a very small, well, the room that we were in, it felt small. 120 so. people, they said. In total? Yeah, wow, they, were, did, they did two oh, shows, two shows yeah. of 120 wow. people. And, you know, the catwalk was this big and the models were rushing down the catwalk very urgently. It definitely wasn't one of those slow-moving shows. But, boy, what a punch that show packed. It was almost like the full madness of a Galliano show from the very beginning where you'd be plunged into this wild narrative. I mean, there wasn't all the stuff he's been doing with the movie, you know, making the movie in real time and all the things we have been seeing. This was right in the middle of a handful of models walking furiously down the catwalk at top speed. The story was coming at you, whether it was a story he was telling, a story was what coming was at you. What was the story behind that collection? It was the, the boy and girl from the cinema Inferno, from that movie, the live movie thing. In that, they were lovers on the run after yeah. committing a crime. And this was a prequel. And I think it was, if I remember right, it was telling the story of how their parents met on a transatlantic crossing in an in a ocean liner. So kind of like Titanic. And the poor boy, rich girl on an ocean liner. And you said they were walking furiously, but I also noticed they were like kind of hunched over, like they were like... In a wind? I don't know what was going on. But they had they, their pants in their pockets. Maybe they were walking in wind, and like that's yeah. why they were walking yeah, that urgently. way. urgently. But why were they doing that? It's just that little speculative thing that makes you go and feel like you've been exposed to some unique vision. I mean, Jonathan Anderson... In his show in London, did he really show clothes made of plasticine? It was incredible. Were they really made of plasticine? Yeah. Hey, and like the invitation is sitting on my desk. The opening looks were these like hoodies and they were like cropped, but they were stiff. And they were, you know, he took like the clothing item of the moment that everybody wears, you know, on the street. And he turned it into this kind of like very high fashion thing that obviously I don't think they're going to be making those hoodies. You know, I think it feels like those are, those are just for the runway. But as an opening gambit for a show, it was really interesting. And but the, also they had their fists bunched and there was yeah. a hunch. And then in Loewe with the very high-waisted trousers yeah. and, the, and the jackets, the blazers with the hands stuffed into the pockets here, there was also maybe the hunch as the posture of the season. So the hunch was in a way the gesture of the season. What an interesting thought. You know, the hunch is kind of defensive. Is it too wild to think of that as being the sort of attitude for now? I mean, Jonathan's very good at isolating a particular attitude to define his collections. I always think of that Leve one, the Leve one where the guys had their hands tucked inside their coats like Napoleon. So it's, it's kind of a novel thought that that sort of hunched, whether it's hunched against, you know, a blow or hunched against the wind or something. It seems like an appropriate defensive gesture for the way the world is right now, doesn't it? Absolutely. And fashion, remember, fashion is a mirror. Fashion is a mirror and sometimes a predictor of what everyone's going to be thinking about. So that brings us, Tim, to the show of the season. 
which in this instance was there wasn't much debate about it because we were all so blown away by that Prada show. And even though I had seen that slime dripping down from the ceilings in the images from the men's show that I didn't attend, the whole experience from the soundtrack to the set to the clothes just kind of clicked. It's like one of those uh, moments where it all comes together. And I remember you saying to me that, you know, historically, since Raph and Mucha have been working together, there was a little bit of Prada that you really, really liked that was missing, but it was back this season. I'm wondering whether it was because it was the last season that um, Fabio Zambonati was working with Mucha, and she's, he's been her right-hand man for three decades almost. I can imagine all the conversations they've had that have shaped the Prada that we know and love. And if this was a swan song, then it kind of made sense that it would celebrate their collaboration and remind us of Prada and its full glory where there was that slyness and that humor and that sort of perverse glamour that she and Raph working together have kind of purified Prada in a way, made it more linear and more defined. It felt like a return to or a projection. We never go back after all, do we? We always go forward. Of the Prada that, that toyed with all these fierce juxtapositions. I mean, I thought it was kind of significant that the soundtrack was from Vertigo, the Alfred Hitchcock movie Vertigo, because, you know, that movie was about doppelgangers and alter egos, and, and it, it felt like this show had, 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 had those kinds of stark juxtapositions. There was the past and the future. There was masculine, feminine. There was, there was hard and soft. There was work and play. And at the end, she brought um, a Mucha and Raph came out with, with Fabio, which was rare in itself because he's always been very much a behind-the-scenes guy. And, um, well, that was her acknowledgement of his contribution over the last years. But whatever, it added up to an incredibly strong collection. And, and you're right, it was for many people the collection of the season. I also really loved Mew Mew. Maybe for different reasons, because, you know, as we were saying, like the best shows make you think and they make you feel maybe they make you a little bit uncomfortable or they evoke some kind of emotion, but they also hopefully make you want to shop. And that Mew Mew show, you know, was so desirable. And, you know, I was in the Mew Mew store in Italy over the summer and talking to some of the sales associates and apparently... 30% of their sales are now coming from women. And I don't know if you remember, Miu Miu had this amazing menswear, but they discontinued it a while ago. And it was just so nice to see people like Troy Sivan, you know, on that runway in Miu Miu. And I saw the chief product officer of Miu Miu later that evening at the dinner on the last night of Paris Fashion Week. And I asked her a bit about it. And she said, yeah, we're leaning into that a bit because men are really responding to it. Fabio also took a bow at the end of Miu Miu. And if you think about what Miu Miu has been over the years, how it really was Prada's twisted sister. It really was the collection that, where I think Mucha could be her most personal and, and really indulge her, her whims and her quirks. And, and you know, it, it always had such a charm. When you look at the proposition, it seems pretty stark and simple especially because of that silhouette with the low-slung Bermudas or skirts or 
pants or, or uh, those funny little slit bathing suits. That is the silhouette that is propelling Mumu right now into the success it has. Very definite silhouette. And I think it's one of those polarizing things. You know, there are, there are people who can't wear that silhouette. And so it's, it's like a, it's, most it's like people a, can't wear that silhouette. Well, it's I'm, like a, it's like a fashion cult, that silhouette. You see the people in the audience, but it seems quite a simple thing when you look at it. But, but the resonance of all of that is quite complicated, I think. And I thought it was interesting after the show, Mucha said that she wasn't interested in simplicity. She wanted complexity, but she felt that reflects the spirit of the times and also, it's the story of her life. I mean, Miu Miu is the story of her life, and, and her life has been a very complicated thing. And so when you look at Miu Miu, all the different elements in this collection, there was the underwear, there was the sportswear, there were vintage clothes, there was evening wear, there was like a black brocade couture coat with a little bow on the back over one of those slippy little underpanty things and, a, and, a, um, and, a, and Bermudas, I think it was. I mean, the contrast was stark. I mean, some of the models were wearing moccasins. Some of them were wearing monk strap shoes. You just feel that there was this big pile of clothes that the stylist threw herself at and composed these slightly random selections of things which just looked so good together. I was going to say, and that stylist is Loda Volkova, who like kind of built her name while she was working with Demna at Balenciaga, but... The work that she's doing at Miu Miu now just shows how versatile she is because this Miu Miu low slung look couldn't be more different from the Balenciaga look. Like she seems like she's able to to channel whatever the designer is putting forward. And by the way, that low slung look, like you see it in lots of places now. Like it's really spreading. That I don't know if you saw the 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 images from that show by that designer Duran Lantink, but he that zone has become an erogenous zone in a way, the, like the hip bone and all of that. And I think that all roots back to Miu Miu when uh, Miu Chip did those low slung, very, very micro mini skirts a few seasons ago. Or, or it also goes all the way back to Bumpsters in a way as well from Alexander McQueen. Which was, but weren't those from the back? They were that low at the back because they were that low at the front. I mean, it was all about the hip bones as well. But I, I do think that Lotta might be styling that out of a whole mass of references. But I do think it's the guiding spirit of, of Mucha's own attitude to what fashion is, you know, that and she's been talking about wanting something real for a while, but but at the same time she wants something complex. And, you know, it's not paradoxical really, because the psychology of fashion is so complicated. She's really fashion's number one psychologist, I think. Yeah, and a top designer who happens to be a woman, as we were discussing yep. before. There are yep. plenty of talented women designers in the industry working at the very top level. We also have Maria Grazia Curie and Virginie Viard. It's just, where are the women, Tim? Where are the women? That's what we want to know. Well, I'm the wrong person to ask, Imran. You know the people to talk to about that. I don't. <laughs> I just think that, you know, if you look at the design teams, if you look at this, you know, the the fashion schools, it's there's no shortage of women designers in that in the pipeline. It just seems like there's some block that the industry needs to understand. Well, Tim, thank you for our always interesting chat on the season that was. It feels like there's so much more we could have discussed. So all of you listening, 
Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. I hope that you will share your feedback with us on your thoughts on the season that was. And stay tuned next week for a very special conversation with Pharrell Williams, linked to the BOF 500 cover story, which is coming out very, very soon. But um, that's all for now. Thank you, Tim. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.